0: The Lord be with you.
1: And with your spirit.
0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke.
1: Glory to you, Lord.
0: Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his full of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat, but here I am dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to his son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fatted calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, your brother has returned and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound he became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughtered the fatted calf, he said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you. this is one of those scripture passages that is so familiar to us that we run the risk of not listening to it as it's being proclaimed because there's this tendency in the human heart that when we think we know what somebody's already going to say we mail it in don't we And this gospel reading is like that. A man had two, it's the prodigal son, I know that story. And the minute I fall into that trap, I've likely stopped listening because I already know what it's about. I already know what it's going to say. But the speaking of sacred scripture is always fresh. There's a now about it that we have to attend to. What we hear today is Jesus speaking these words not to the Pharisees 2,000 years ago, but to us in the now of our being here in the Trine Church at Our Lady of the Island on a first Saturday in the season of Lent. And if that's the case, then maybe I don't know exactly how this goes, or what this says. So we pause then with that reality in mind, recognizing that we are hearing these words during the season of Lent. And that means something for how we understand these words. We are going somewhere over these six weeks of Lent. The movement that began on Ash Wednesday, when we were told to remember that we are dust and to dust we will return, that movement that began on Ash Wednesday when we were given the command to turn away from sin and believe in the Gospel, includes now our engagement with this reading. And that issue of going someplace is vitally important for us to understand this well. Just think about those words. Remember, you are dust. And to dust, you will return. And note what that says about where we're going. And where a life without grace and a life without the Lord ends up. You are dust. And in the end, without the grace of God, all you are is dust and everything you build and all of your striving in the end is dust fallen man is going someplace and that place is not good However, we go through the season of Lent precisely because we recognize that there is another movement and another place we need to get to, which is a real home, an eternal home, and that our wandering through this world is not for the sake of our falling into dust, but because we move in the light of a promise of eternal life. And Lent is that season which reminds us of both of those things. Without the grace of God, what are we? Dust and nothing more. But with the grace of God, we are called to move beyond the fact that we are merely dust into something much more glorious. Note how that frames what we have here then, this parable of the two sons that is placed before us today. And why? Because Jesus is speaking to the older sons as he tells this parable. Note how the parable begins. The setting is Jesus is with sinners and tax collectors and a group of people are upset. They can't understand why one who is supposed to be so good and so holy is wasting his time with those who are so wicked and so corrupt and so compromised. Note to whom Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to those who have flattered themselves in terms of how they're trying so hard to get it right. And what do they see? Why is he not spending time with us? We're the ones who are trying so hard to grow in our faith. We're the ones who are working so hard to do it the right way. Why is he with those who can't be bothered to try? What is going on? And there's a certain resentfulness about this a certain sense that priorities are misplaced and that grace is being spent wrongly. And so Jesus looks to them, to those whose hearts have this bitterness about them, even in their faithfulness. And as we recognize that, we see a fundamental trap that waits for us in the spiritual life. There is always the danger when one tries to be serious about his or her living of the faith, to bear down with such an intensity that we have a grim anger about us. I'm trying so hard that I become miserable in the trying. I become closed in the trying. I become resentful when I look around me and see others who don't work so hard and then who seem to get something. And note how easily that happens. Note how easily that happens. This is not to say don't try. This is not to say don't work. But it is to say be careful of the trap that waits for you when you do those things. Because a certain angry judgmentalism can easily creep into us. And so the Lord says, there was a man who had two sons, obviously an older son and a younger son. But this entire parable is framed with Jesus trying to help these others understand what is going on with the attention he is given to these sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes who have come and gathered around him. And so the Lord says, the younger son came to the father. And he does what younger sons often do. He's sitting there thinking, well, you know, most of the property's going to go to my big brother. I need to get out of here. And he does what younger sons have done as long as there have been younger sons. He says, I can't wait to be my own guy. I can't wait to get away from home. If only I have what I need, I can go out and I can conquer the world. You know, that disposition stays with us even when we have a lot of decades of life that we've lived. There is still a certain restlessness that can settle into our hearts. If only I wasn't trapped here. Oh, the things I could do if only i wasn't weighed down by my health issues my family issues this job i can't escape because i need it if only i didn't have this oh how much better my life would be the things i could do if i was free this is the spirit that the younger son is operating in if only i had the freedom If only i had what i need I could go, I could take the world by storm, I could show you how to live, because life is out there. How restless our hearts can be, and that tendency to daydream, that big daydream about the freedom that's out there, that is so different from what I have here, comes so easily to us. It's not unique to being young it stays with us all our lives it has a particular intensity when we're young but it's not the private possession of the young and so nobody says he comes to his father and says look sooner or later the inheritance is going to happen And basically what he's saying is, but I'm gonna be so old by the time it comes to me, I won't be able to enjoy it. And so how about we just do it now and I can get on with my life. And so we hear that the father divides his property between the two sons. Note, this is important, both sons, receive their inheritance now. The older son and the younger son. Scripture does not say that the younger son got his inheritance and the older son didn't. Both are given their inheritance now. And this parable of Jesus hinges on the misuse that both sons make of their inheritance. not just the younger son whose misuse is obvious. And so what do we hear? As soon as he got his inheritance, what does he do? Oh, he leaves because he's got a life to live and no one's going to tell him how to live it. You know, and those of us who have a few years on us, remember when we thought that way? And where it led us? No one's going to tell me how to live. No one's going to limit me. I can now do what I want. And so his ambition carries him far from home, far from his family. Note, this is not just physical distance. It is personally carrying him far away from home. With this attitude, he could be living down the block, and he'd still be far from home. He's not thinking about home anymore. He's thinking about what's ahead of him that he wants to do. And so he's going to go and pursue it. But his idea of freedom and his idea of happiness is being able to do what I want, when I want, as long as I want, as much as I want, whenever I want. And so what do we hear? He squandered his inheritance in a life of, note the word, dissipation. And here we pause again. The word prodigal for prodigal son does not mean the guy who left and came back. That's not prodigality. Prodigality is not traveling, it is not wandering. To be prodigal is to be reckless and wasteful with what one has. It's to spend down your wealth carelessly, recklessly, and wantonly. That's prodigality. The son is prodigal not because he leaves home. He's prodigal because he squanders, misuses, and is reckless and wasteful in his spending. And note what we hear, a life of dissipation. What does it mean to dissipate? It means to be spread thinner and thinner and thinner and broader and broader and broader until there is no substance left, nothing solid. He begins with all of this wealth in his hands and a little here and a little there and a little here and a little there, and note what's happening. What begins as substantial, solid wealth dissipates like it goes up in smoke, like a bunch of dry leaves scattered in the wind. That's what's happening here. In his reckless pursuit of doing what I want, when I want, however I want, he squanders what he has without even realizing it in this reckless chasing after what I want. No discipline, simply ambition, simply a reaching to experience, to enjoy, to savor, and in the end it is not just his wealth that dissipates away, his dignity does. He dissipates himself, he squanders his time, He squanders his energy. He squanders who he is until finally he has nothing left to spend, not in his pocket, not in his heart. A life of dissipation, a dissipated life. This is the prodigality of the younger son. It's not just that he misspent his money. He misspent himself, something that the human race is surprisingly brilliant at. Our modern age is that way. If we're not careful, we may not have a lot of wealth to spend down, but we are reckless and prodigal with our time, aren't we? The way we surrender bits and pieces of ourselves to things outside of us that keep demanding our attention our time, our energy, till we find ourselves spent and exhausted, scattered mentally, scattered in our hearts because we keep responding and chasing after so many things. Our overstimulated world with its overstimulated living invites us to be that younger son. Spend yourself recklessly. Pay attention to me. Listen to me, follow me, take care of me. I'm the most important thing in the world. I have your attention now. Notice how so much of the world is about claiming our attention and pulling us out of what we need to be doing. It's the younger son living in us. And so finally he realizes he has nothing not in himself, not in his wallet, And he's desperate. And just like so many desperate men and women do, I've gotta find something to hold on to. And there's nothing there, except a job taking care of pigs. And remember, Jesus is Jewish, talking to Jewish men. And we all know about that tradition and pigs, don't we? So what is he saying? He is less than the unclean animal. And the only thing he can get to sustain himself is caring for what is filthy. Note how far his dignity has gone away from him. From the son of his father, the heir of the property, to the guy who is the servant of the pig. And he's jealous of the pig because the pig has something to eat and he doesn't. Even the unclean animal is better than him. That's how far he has fallen. Probably in part, even as he's spiraling out of control, thinking I've still got this, I can turn this around falling further and further and further until finally it hits him. He literally hits bottom. And this is where the younger son has a moment of real greatness. And it's important to recognize that. At that moment where he has no dignity left, where he realizes he has no wealth left, where he has completely made a ruin of his life. He has a moment of real greatness. How odd that is. And that greatness is the honest admission that I've done this and it's my fault. I've lost everything. But I don't have to stay lost. This is a tremendous moment. This is a moment of greatness. This is a moment of strength. This is a moment of incredible grace. Because it's too easy when someone says that to say it's hopeless. I can't do anything. I guess I'm stuck here. One of the tragedies of our modern world is how many wounded and broken individuals recognize where they are but then assume they can't go any place. Remember, Lent is a season that goes somewhere. So what does he say? I can go somewhere. I can leave this place. But know what he says. I only know one other place I can go. Because that world I rushed into did nothing to sustain me. I have to go back home. And what does he say? I'm not worthy to go back home. I'm not worthy to think of myself as who I was before. But I know home is better than here. I'm going to take a chance. And I'm going to go. Note how powerful this is. This decision to take a step in the direction of home. And he begins to move. And then we see something very strange happen in the parable. This parable has a lot of strangeness about it. And here we come to the first truly strange element. He never makes it back home before his father is with him. Think about that. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What kind of binoculars does the father have? While he was still a long way off, he hasn't even come close. There's not even that moment of dad standing there saying, oh, I'm gonna make you take that painful walk up the driveway. While he is still a long way off, and so what do we know? The father has been watching in the direction of his son all that Time. And as much as he squandered himself, he was never out of his father's sight. His father had watched him leave, had watched him move down that road, had watched him exercise his reckless freedom, had wept over all of that, and is still watching. And so he sees this moment, and the son begins to return home and he doesn't have to come home alone. His father finds him on the way, meets him on the way, and walks him back home. Note how remarkable that is. The son gets down on his knees before his father and says, I don't deserve to be called your son, and the father says, oh, shut up with that. That's not for you to decide. Last I checked, that is still who you are. You don't come back to me to become someone less than you were before. You come back to me to become again who you really are. Note the lesson of the parable. However much you think you've destroyed yourself, you come back to me and I give you back who you always were, who you really are. Which you don't have any place else but with me. Small wonder the father is delighted. And as he comes home, the order is kill the fatted calf. Let us celebrate. I've been watching every single day since he left. I've watched every tragic, misguided mistake he has made. I've seen it all. And I got to see that day where he finally said, This doesn't work, and I need home, and now I have him here. This is no tiny joy. This is something, as much as the son was daydreaming about what life would be like and took joy in that fantasy, his father had a dream too, that one day you'll be here with me. And note that that dream was no fantasy. That dream is now reality for the father. So what do we see, however? The older son, who has seen the father's tears, has seen the father's concern, the older son, who's the good guy, the faithful guy, the hard-working guy, has a problem. And he can't rejoice that his brother has come back. And note what that says. He was ready to let him be gone and it was okay if he comes back he wants consequences he wants punishment he's not happy that he's back and that's a cause of rejoicing because in his faithfulness he's the guy who's saying i have to work so much harder because that clown ran away He's out having a good time and I'm stuck here doing all the work. He doesn't see what he's done to dad. I do every day. And note what's happening. In his goodness and in his faithfulness, his heart becomes angrier by the day. So much so that he won't even go into the house. And what does the father have to do? He has to go out and find that son too. He has to go out and find the older son. And know what the older son says. I've been with you all this time, I've been faithful. And this guy ruins everything, throws away his inheritance, squanders your property, you welcome him back, you throw him a party, and you never even gave me a goat that I could celebrate with my friends with. Remember what we heard at the beginning? The father divided his inheritance. He already had the goat. He could have used it anytime he wanted. Note that his misuse. He had a full sharing in his father's property right there. And in his angry faithfulness, he never appreciated what he already had. He could have done that at any point. He could have enjoyed it at any point. He could have rejoiced in the fact that at least I am here with my father, as opposed to resenting the fact that I have to work so much harder now. Note the difference. This is that form of self-righteous anger that can easily afflict our hearts and cut us off. And so note what the father says. He says, you're always here with me. What exactly is missing? I have the joy of your presence every day. What is missing? But I do have a right to my joy. And your anger will not rob me of that. Because I love your brother and I want him here. Why don't you? The parable ends. The parable ends with the older son still standing outside of the door. And we don't know if he makes his way inside or not. Note how Jesus ends the parable. Because he's talking to the Pharisees, the older brothers. And know what he's saying, he's not saying you're bad guys. But he is saying something's missing here. Something's missing. And don't let that resentful pettiness and judgmentalism cut you off when you have everything. Come inside with me. Come inside with your brother. And so the faithful son finds himself outside looking in and we don't know what he does. What an important question for us and the resentments and the anger we can easily carry for ourselves. The father loves both sons. The father goes and seeks both sons. And we see that the wounded, misguided son has to be brought back. But so does the older son, who doesn't wander physically so far, but whose heart is equally distant. How wonderful it is we can reflect on that here because whether any one of us here is the older son or the younger son, it doesn't matter, because the third son is here. Jesus, on the one hand, our younger brother. On the other hand, our older brother. And note who he is. He's that one who goes far from heaven with his inheritance for us. And there's a certain, not prodigality, but liberality about Jesus, because he comes into this world to spread his grace and his wealth widely among all of us, so that we all might be able to receive it and come home with him. He is, in no small measure, the Father's love that seeks and finds us, whether we're the older brother, whether we're the younger brother, it doesn't matter. And how wonderful it is that here in this place, however near or far off my heart may have been this week and may be today, the Father's love is on this altar because he's seen us. And the Father's love comes off that altar to us. and we stretch out our hands and we receive him and what is going on, we receive once again our real dignity. Who we really are. What does the Lord really say to us in this sacrament? You come home with me. I don't go home with you. You come home with me. Because the reality is Jesus never came into this world so that we take him home with us. Jesus comes into this world to take us home with him. And what a wonderful gift that is. Amen.